0: they wallow in corruption, crime and gore, ding ling ling city desk, pull the press, pull the press, extra, extra, read all about it, it's a mess, meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people, it's wonderful to represent the press. Now you Sadie smuggery.
1: So the Media Project gives you a half hour of commentary on media issues from some folks with experience in the field. I'm Rex Smith, formerly editor of the Times Union, now of the Upstate American. I'm the owner, player, manager, coach. I think that's what the sports analogy would be. Dr. Alan Sharktuck, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio, columnist, commentator, professor, etc. Et How'd you do? How'd you do? How'd you do? Thank you very much. You're wearing a tie today, looking very I don't passer. know what made me do it, but I did it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What do you know? Ira Fussfeld is here, formerly... Publisher of the Daily Freeman and affiliated publications in Kingston, New York, sir.
2: Hello there, Mr. Rex and everybody.
1: How do? And Rosemary Armeo, investigative reporter, professor, former managing editor, all kinds of jobs.
3: Yeah. So, a permanent presence here at WAMC.
4: Thank you for having me. (laughs) We love having
1: you. Let's talk a little bit, because it's campaign season, about journalists reporting matters that politicians don't want you to know and how you really go about that. The case in point is John Fetterman, the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania, neck and neck in a race that may well determine which party controls the Senate uh, with a celebrity doctor, Dr. Mehmet Oz. John Fetterman, of course, famously had a stroke just before the primary election, won anyway. And now there is some controversy about his transparency about his medical condition. When reporters interview him, he likes to use some closed captioning so that he can better perceive what he's being asked, because he sometimes signals get crossed in understanding words, apparently. How huh. big a deal is that, do we think? And, and what ought the press do in response to medical? Questions, Or is that, here's the controversy, is that ableist, as the term goes? Are we being biased against those who have some sort of disability?
3: Well, I don't know. I think we ought to go to Ira because Ira (laughs) Ira has had a little problem, and and it's over now. But you had to uh, get through that.
2: Well, look, I'm not running for office. If I'm running for the United States Senate and I have had a stroke or any other serious medical incident... I owe it to the voters to say, here's exactly what happened. Here, You want to talk to my doctors? Here's the phone number. You have to be transparent, and the fact that the press is digging into this should be expected, and it's exactly what the press should be doing. And the best way to cut that off at the pass is to report and give this information out yourself. And the reporters better not find that you're
3: lying, because if Absolutely. you're lying, really
2: bad news. Mm-hmm.
4: Well, I can blame everything on Trump and that includes yes, this. That's Trump yep. made it okay not to report truthfully, have your doctors report truthfully about your medical condition. He, he made a joke of his medical examination when he was running and then when he had COVID and came close to death, we only found out later, had a doctor get up and lie to the press about it. I think that this is something Congress should fix, not just the press going after it. There should be a law that if you're running for office, there's a certain amount of medical information that has to come out. Certainly the voters in Pennsylvania have a right to know how impaired Fetterman is. He has not made a medical, a full medical report available, and he's tried to combat it by holding a number of interviews. The problem is, the people he who interviewed him have had different interpretations of his abilities. One reporter from, I think, NBC said, Oh, man, he just couldn't understand what I was saying and somebody else said, no, 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 he's just not a good small talker I would be very worried if I were a voter in Pennsylvania about my choices You either get a quack or a man who is potentially <laughs> very ill Neither of them are good choices Well, then what do you do about
1: mental health? Uh, talk about Herschel Walker in Georgia A man who says, oh, yeah, I was mentally ill when I held a gun to my wife's head When I did all these things and now I'm well and I'm fine and thank you for helping me through it Jesus Well, I,
4: I maintain that his also is a physical condition he was a football player then he, he went into what bobsledding and his head was banged around a lot and I bet a full medical report would give us some information that voters have a right to know but mental health practitioners also give reports if he was insane at the time and now he's fine can I see the report from the doctor saying that hmm or do I just listen to you and make my own conclusions
1: how big a deal is mental health in a candidate? its uh, I mean, I am old enough to remember 1972 when the Democratic candidate for vice president, Tom Eagleton, had to drop off the ticket when it was revealed that he had been under psychiatric care. It
4: and, was electroshock that did it to him, that yes. he was so seriously depressed. And then he lied about it, too. So it isn't simply that it was the mental health issue. There were other things involved with him.
2: One of the things that complicates this, let's, let's just say for the sake of discussion that the candidate is required to release medical reports on their condition, presumably which will lay people's fears about what their condition is. You can find a doctor who will be willing to do that even if it's not quite accurate. And the two names that immediately come to mind are Trump doctors, the one guy with the long hair in Manhattan. And the other one was his personal White House doctor Who's now a congressman right. And who yeah. has been saying the most outrageous stuff But, yeah. you know, they were both uh, Both are legitimate doctors yeah. So theoretically they can say whatever they want Well, he had a
1: history of that He got a doctor to uh, signify that he had bone spurs To keep yeah. him out of the Vietnam yeah. War Oh,
2: right, even longer ago than that yeah. So that we call hypocrisy That we But do. There,
4: are, there are no rules at all right now Which allow Trump to get away with that He's the expert at finding the loophole Or the missing enforcement effort in a law and and exploiting it. If there were rules, it would be harder and you'd still have the press pressing to see if the doctor's legitimate, if the report is complete.
3: Well, you know, you are an expert in holding the press responsible, Rosemary, so... Do you think that the press, the New York Times, the Washington Post, others are doing a good enough job in looking at all of this?
4: No. In fact, the New York Times were in an article yesterday that it's, I've been thinking about for a long time, which is what happened to all the reforms? The Democrats said if they got into power after Trump, they'd fix all the loopholes, they'd close all the problem laws that he found his way through. And none of that has happened.
1: You mean financial shenanigans? All, all and so of and...
4: them—pardons mm-hmm. being abused, the emoluments clause not being enforced—you name it. A medical records. Every time Trump and the, we, we kept a list of them. You know, there, there were people on the internet who said, "Okay, here's another law we have to fix when we get a chance," and they cover the gamut of governance. And we've done nothing there's that one law that the bipartisan bill to fix the election law so that the vice president no longer has even I guess a ceremonial role or it's clear it's only a ceremonial. that's mm-hmm. it and that's not even fully passed yet of
1: course with respect to the medical issues there's such a long history of this Dwight Eisenhower had a heart attack and that was concealed from the public uh, Ronald Reagan's assassination attempt at the hands of John Hinckley was much more serious than we knew at the time it, Absolutely. actually the woman from the Capital Region who is his duty nurse would tell you how serious the condition was and we don't really know as the Trump case makes clear there is a lot that can be covered up when you're sitting in the White House and you're broker of information it's very hard for the media to get because uh, HIPAA the healthcare facilities can't release information Mm -hmm. without your permission so we are left with the as Rosemary says either change the Mm -hmm. law to require candidates to divulge or just keep banging away and make the public demand to know?
4: Well, I mean, I would say the same thing with tax records, too. Mm -hmm. Also, if you're running for office, you should be required to forego the God-given right of Americans to keep their tax information secret. It should be open to the public. And, yes, there would be violations and, and, you know, hedging on that as well. But we'd still be better off than we are now, which is I don't have to give it to you.
2: So the the media part of this equation is if the media, particularly the big media, start reporting on these issues that you raised and other health issues, and at what point does the press stop saying we got to do this because we're just beating our heads against the wall and nothing is happening? I mean, you you don't want to give up. On the other hand, it's an unproductive line of resources.
4: Well, you know, those of us in the press realize that you frequently don't get what you want the first or second or even in a lifetime of trying, but you still keep trying.
2: And if the public in the press was to push for public officials to reveal their health issues, including mental health issues, how long will it be before they say, shouldn't the press be doing the same? Uh-huh. About themselves? Yeah.
4: You know, I've always said that if you're in a position where you're asking for public records on a person to be revealed or private records like medical, then you should be willing to do the same. Why not? It should not be equal. We, as you just said, are not running for office. We are not in a position of public trust in the same way that an elected official is. But I have no problem with it. I think it should be out.
2: Well, I'd sure like to see mental health records for Tucker Carlson.
4: Well,
3: since so many people in America, you know, seek mental health relief one way or another, psychologists, social workers uh, and others, uh, you know, this is pretty universal. And we would expect that people running for office and others might give it up.
1: Well, you know, it is an interesting issue because do we have a different standard for mental health and for physical health? Does there remain a stigma attached to mental health treatment as opposed to physical health? I mean, we're here talking about John Fetterman in Pennsylvania and whether he is able to perceive words that are spoken to him at the same level that we do. Does that, in fact impact on his capacity to be a good U.S. senator any more than being in a wheelchair does. I don't know that that's the
2: case.
4: Even the debate about this is good for the republic because you're right. What do you really have to be able to do to be a senator? And it also educates about illness. Thomas Eagleton would never happen now. He would not have hidden depression. Mm -hmm. And electroshock therapy is not a barrier to future uh, very gainful employment the way it was considered, whoa, really depraved and weird back in the 70s. That's changed, and part of that is because of sunlight, which the press can do. What happens in a stroke? Will he get better? Is he getting better? It's even now Some of the reporting is Whether he can see the word And understand the word Those are two different things The perception is off Because of the stroke But he still understands everything That's That's education
1: The question of vulnerability Is one that has been raised By John Alsop Of Columbia Journalism Review Who talks about The fact that Your health is vulnerable Your mental health You're vulnerable But there's an emotional Vulnerability as well I don't want to get Too woo-woo-woo here But in candidates Who are able to admit to some level of humility, you know, I was wrong about this and so on, that would be something that we might wish to see. We might really wish for more mental health from our politicians in general.
4: I see Rosemary shaking her head profoundly. I'd, I'd like more mental health in our public officials. It would be a good thing. And More transparency. More transparency. I mean, it's just, you know?
2: It seems like such a basic equation. If you fear that there's somebody who is unstable, unless you're proven otherwise by a noted medical why would you want to vote for somebody Who's unstable? I mean, you can ask many of the Trump voters, I I guess. was going to say that yeah. Her- Or, or talk Walker. about Georgia Yeah, I mean,
1: Herschel Walker yeah. is clearly An idiot. I don't know how else To put it. No, the true. man doesn't know What he's talking about a lot of the time And was lauded for His ability to get through a debate Without totally embarrassing Himself. And that is probably Going to enable him to get elected mm-hmm. to the U.S. Senate But he's a guy who talks about The air traveling from one Part of the world to another. I, I don't know. He has strange concepts of science and a lack of understanding of kind of how all
4: that, all that aid are. for the environment going to trees. There's too many damn trees. Too many yeah, trees. That, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. all I want in the Senate. Terrific.
1: By the way, folks, you can share your views. Media at wamc.org is how we get email, and we're always happy to hear your thoughts and incorporate those into our program here. Alan Shartok, Rosemary Armeo, Ira Fussfeld, and I'm Rex Smith, and we're here with the Media Project every week. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit here about war coverage because there is, once again, more attention to Ukraine. A few weeks ago, we were saying, gosh, Ukraine has dropped out of the headlines off the front page for people who still pay attention to such things as pages. And now suddenly there is more coverage of the war But some question as to whether it's actually of the kind that is useful Is what we need more coverage of what's going on on the ground in Ukraine Or more understanding of what's going on in the Kremlin That is leading this war forward and what might follow
3: I suspect there are an awful lot of people leaning over after they heard you say that, Rex To their radios and saying, both Both, okay, that's fine
1: But there are limited number of minutes in a broadcast hour Yeah uh, And a limited range of dollars for reporting And so you kind of have to figure out If you're the executive producer of Morning Edition and NPR, what do you do?
2: Well, I think the print press, and I extend that to digital print press, is is in fact doing what you suggest, which is covering both Moscow and has boots on the ground, depending on how large the organization is. I think, unfortunately, we judge a lot of the media coverage by what we see or don't see on television. And you're right. Even if all of the networks had people in Moscow and on the ground in Ukraine, which I believe they do, there's only 22 and a half minutes of time for them to report the entire front page of the New York Times so that they just simply don't have the time to make an impact, in my view. The impact is the pictures of the bodies on the ground and the burned out buildings, and that's not to denigrate either of those efforts. But if we're going to judge media coverage by TV, I think we are misjudging, because there is a lot of coverage out there, particularly in the print press.
4: I think that the problem is twofold. One is that the coverage on the ground is the same as it has been since February. Bombed out buildings, civilians getting it, dead women, dead children. I hate to say blah, 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 but that's how the public feels about it. We've seen that, done that, been that. So reporting on Russian motives, which I think is the real story, we cannot get. No one has real access to Putin. So one story you can't get, the other you have too much of. How do you mix that up? And that's for print as well as for television.
1: Yeah, it drives me crazy to hear commentators saying, you know, what Putin's doing is, you cannot infer from anything that we can see what Putin's direction is or what his intent is. We don't know the man. So to have a local commentator talking about Putin is
3: idiotic. Let me just try to take the other side on that one, if I may, Rex. I do believe Putin has a history. He has a history in terms of his own personal Actions and his relationship to what used to be, but is no longer the Communist Party. So we can pretty well know, I think, who Putin is and call him on it. Hmm.
1: Where does his mental health fit into it then? You know, we don't know anything about that. We don't know how crazy he actually is. Well, so that's especially. what I was going to say.
2: There, there was a time not all that long ago, I think, where there was a perception that Ukraine was winning and it was pushing back Moscow. And, in fact, the Russians had retreated in certain areas. And then Putin made his remarks about the atomic bomb and not ruling out the use of nuclear weapons. And that seemed to have gotten everybody's attention again. And now the coverage, in my view, is ramped up again. So to the extent that there was a valley, and I think there was, now we're coming back up and building the coverage up. And the seriousness of this conflict, not just in that area of the world, but to the entire world, is more top-of-mind awareness.
4: Well, the the Ukrainians blew up the bridge.
2: Right. Beautiful bridge. Which is what prompted the nuclear threat. And then
4: the nuclear threat and a massive bombing across the entire Ukraine using weapons from Iran so we've moved from a regional conflict, a microaggression, into a world peace-threatening military action. So coverage is not an option. That is something that should be on the front pages every single day. And if the story is sort of incrementally moving or not at all moving, I still think you have to report it.
2: Without a doubt. But would you not agree that the coverage had waned a bit before? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm.
1: And it's back. Okay. Another topic that we want to get to this week is a domestic one, and that is what seems like a local story that actually has national ramifications, that being in Los Angeles, where the president of the city council, an Hispanic woman, was forced to resign after extraordinarily racist remarks that she was making in a secretly recorded conversation at the Federation of Labor headquarters in in L.A. about African-American voters.
3: So the cover gets pulled off of this story, which is people in minority status all love each other, which turns out not to be true. It turns out, and I think I've known that for a long time, that there's a certain competitive instinct between various minority groups and others. There can be. There isn't always, but there can be. And it's quite unattractive when laid bare. It was quite attractive, forced resignation of the president of the council.
1: The fallout continues, and there may well be implications for interracial relations in politics for a long time to come and geographically divided. The question for journalists is the use of this secret tape. This was done by the Los Angeles Times for bylines on the story and former Times Union reporter Ben Oreskes. And I'm, I remember him. No, you're remembering his dad. That's sorry. I was going to ask if
2: he was related that, yeah. to Michael <laughs> Is that his son? <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. How do you know I don't remember mean. him? <laughs> <laughs> yes. He became a big guy at NPR, didn't mm-hmm. he? How about
1: that?
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: that would be the dad. All right, yeah. we're getting away from here now. The question is would you hesitate to use a secretly recorded tape that falls into your hands, as this one did? This one got into the hands of the LA Times simply by being tweeted to a newspaper's politics account.
4: Do you, do you remember Jesse Jackson, who on a off-the-record interview? Yes, I remember him. Yes. He was the candidate. He was the candidate, and yeah. And he referred to New York as Jaime Town. So competition between minorities is pretty old. We've known about it. And this is exactly the same thing. That was off the record. The Washington Post reporter, Milton Coleman, was a friend of Jesse Jackson. He didn't have a minute's hesitation, I think, in reporting that story because it was so ugly, as were the remarks of this woman and her friends. They are just disgusting. And I understand that you can say things to a friend that are private and that if heard by others could be misconstrued but this is not in that category at all it's clearly horrible and she deserves the fate she got and the reporters were absolutely right to put that out.
1: the interesting difference about the Jesse Jackson comment is that it was an off-the-record conversation with a reporter this was simply a recorded conversation that got into the hands of a reporter but I think it was a closer call though I think Milton Coleman clearly made the right call in Mm -hmm. saying this is so Newsworthy that a presidential candidate would
3: say this—that I the have rules to rules are out the window. Yeah, I have so to so much for off the record, right? So yeah. much for the rules. Right. If it's a great story, a reporter is going to go use it.
1: it yeah. It's not just a great story; it's what's it's know, morally defensible mind. or yeah. not. Wait a
2: minute—you're all three of you are advocating using something that was told to you off the record.
4: In this case, yeah. If
1: it's if it's morally indefensible to have said this kind of—Have you ever done it, Rex? Have I ever used something that was given to me off the record? I don't. If I have, I'm not going to tell you. I don't. (laughs) To answer that would be off the record. I think that I have made reference to off, and I've I've actually thought about this some because I I remember an off the record conversation with Andrew Cuomo that I ended up repeating to people a couple of times, and suddenly realized, you know that was off the record I shouldn't have done that but he's the problem with Cuomo was this was early in his resurrection when he came back into public life he he would start a conversation by Mm -hmm. saying it's just off the record just you and me right and then he would start talking And you hardly have a chance to say, no, 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 though that is the right thing to do. If somebody says to you, I want to talk to you off the record. We used to do this all the time at the Times Union. Somebody would say, I can tell you that, but I need to tell you off the record. And we would say, no, you cannot go off the record. We're not going to do that. The editorial board of the Times Union, for example, never took off-the-record information because you got a bunch of people in a room. You can't have an off-the-record conversation with six or seven people. There's just no such thing.
2: It sounds like we're in agreement that we should never do anything off-the-record.
4: I am constitutionally unable to do that. Someone says to me, I'll tell you off-the-record. I always say, well, we can start there. And then I'll there's no way I'm putting that off-the-record. And you, you talk to them. It's a negotiation. It yes. isn't. It isn't a rule. It isn't okay, like so I'm recognized. invoking the off-the-record. It just doesn't work that right. way. And Rex is right. Yeah. People get up in, in a speech, you know, in front of a whole room <laughs> of people and say, this is off the record. No, it is not. Uh, so there's misunderstanding of what it is. And actually, some journalists have some personal views on it. Like, the, the you know, Casey Siler and I have talked about this. That he, he would say, no, don't tell me off the record. I would want to know. I would want to know and I would get it. And then I would work to get it on the record somehow.
1: That is actually, in, the, in our source guidelines at the Times Union that we had during my editorship, we would say exactly, advocate exactly what it is that you're advocating. That is negotiation. Right. Pushing back, because right. you can often get people to put at least part of what they've said to you off the record right. on And record.
4: I don't know about um, Milton Coleman. Did he tell Jesse Jackson, like, Jesse, sorry, that's gone in the paper. And he you know, he didn't put it, it wasn't the lead, it wasn't the story, yeah. oh, this is you know what he said. It was like in the forty fifth paragraph of a story about Jesse Jackson campaign. The no. Town. Yeah, the Town comment. I think you have to tell the person it's gonna be. Do you it's gonna be yeah. No one should be surprised by what no they read about themselves in the newspaper yeah. or here on T V.
1: Yeah. And I think great investigative reporters have that as a shared attribute, that people are not surprised by what they read in the paper. They know I going, what's
4: coming. The story is coming out tomorrow. I want you to know, and here are the main points we're going to make. Mm-hmm. Yes, we did include, you know
3: should have kept ca- your big mouth shut. <laughs> Sometimes
4: uh, we had a case once where we were doing a puff piece, a very flattering piece about a man who developed the Baltimore airport. And in the course of it, we found a very old yellow news clipping about he had been a lawyer and had been accused of stealing money, embezzling from a client, lost his law license on it. So, of course, we asked him about it, and he goes, oh, my God, please don't print that. Mm-hmm. My family doesn't know. None of my associates done. I've remade my whole life. Please don't print that. Would you have printed it? As I say, being a reporter does not always comport with uh, being well, a did great you, human Was being. it relevant to the story, do you think? It sure. was a story about how he had gotten to this position where he's oh, defo- it was about wow. him. Yeah. So yeah. what we did was Sorry. negotiate, and I told him we have to print it. If we found it, anybody else could, mm-hmm. but it isn't going to be the lead of the story. And it's not going to come out until you have time to tell your family. They should not find about it in the newspaper. Yeah. And had... we did. And it's a redemption story. It actually isn't. People always think that publicity is bad. Just putting your name in the paper or on TV is a bad thing. And it isn't. Sometimes it gets you sympathy. It gets you understanding. Here was a guy who wrecked his whole life, and he rebuilt it into something bigger. That's a great story.
1: Mhm. Absolutely. I had a situation as a young reporter where I was actually assigned to write, again, a, a sweet piece about a little boy who had a physical disability. He was born with some parts outside his body, and he had had surgery and corrected things. And, The story was going to run under the headline, uh, Tommy's a Little Trooper, which is where I learned that that's spelled T-R-O-U-P-E-R, by the way, not like uh, State Trooper. Tommy's a Little Trooper. And the dad called. I interviewed the mom. We got pictures of mom and baby. Dad got home in the afternoon and called and threatened the newspaper and said, my family doesn't know about my son's disability. I'm going to sue you if you invade our privacy this way. Well, there is no statutory right to privacy in the state of New York, by the way. But I remember my first year as a reporter, my editor, saying, tell Dad to start calling his relatives. Because it was a story. We were fully reported. We're ready to go with it. Now, that was a closer call because these are private individuals. But there is no assurance. If you talk to a reporter, you're making the assumption that what you're saying is going on the record.
4: Do you remember the case of the AP that had an embedded photographer with a troop in Iraq? Embedded, She traveled with them every day, and she captures them during an ambush. And a young man was shot in the thigh. It was a horrible wound. He bled out. He died. And she has it all in film, color, black and white video. She had it all because she was embedded with them. So the AP calls the parents that night and say, we've got the story, and it's going to be in the paper tomorrow. And they said, please don't run it. That's intensely private. It's our son's final moments on earth. Don't run it. And the AP said, we're calling to tell you we're running it not to ask permission Mm -hmm. because, of course, there's no statutory rule against it. They had allowed it. The troop loved this woman. And it was an amazing story. It was like a a hymn to him, a, a song of praise to young men who dedicate their lives to the country. That's what it really was. And she loved this guy. They were friends. And the whole troop around uh, her also supported that move. But for the parents, it was devastating.
1: And the great value, one of the great values of journalism is the empathy that it imparts as a result of that kind of storytelling, painful as it may be. That's all we have time for today, I'm afraid. That is the Media Project for this week. Alan Chartok, Rosemary Armeo, Ira Fussfeld, and I'm Rick Smith. Thanks to our producer, David Gustina, and to you folks for joining us once again this week. On the media project.
0: For readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-ling-ling, circulation, tingling a ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers of freedom of the press.